It's a reading from Alan Watts that Nicholas has selected this morning. Um, Alan is, is from England as well, and he was became he came to this country in 1938, and born in 1915, and became an Episcopal or Anglican priest here, and uh, a Zen Buddhist uh, master as well. Uh, very well read, uh, also an academic uh, professor in a couple of the different schools. But it's a very good reading, and I just thought I have I had read a couple books. He'd written about twenty-five books, and the one that I happen to have uh, on my bookshelf is entitled "Beyond Theology." You know, we have Lean Pagels, Beyond Belief, Beyond Religion. It's a it's a very appropriate theme for the for the chapel, and this one, uh, nineteen sixty-four, Beyond uh, Theology, and it's it, well, this book is about you know letting go. And and uh, and then letting go of self abandonment, uh, release of theological affirmations and assertions. They're always trying to be right, and I always appreciate the fact that Nicholas is always saying, you know, none of us know everything, uh, or you know, we're, it's always a journey. And I appreciate that about uh, Nicholas's theology here. So that in mind, a reading from Alan Watts. We are living in a culture entirely hypnotized by the illusion of time, the illusion of time, in which the so-called present moment is felt as nothing but an infinitesimal hairline between an all-powerfully causative past and an absorbingly important future. We have no present our consciousness is almost completely preoccupied with memory or expectation. We do not realize that there never was, is, nor will be any other experience than present experience. We are therefore out of touch with reality so much of the time. We confuse the world as talked about, described, and measured with the world which actually is. We are sick with a fascination for the useful tools of names and numbers, symbols, signs, conceptions, and ideas. So this is the Last of our series uh, that we've had, we've had five, this is the fifth message, looking at how we relate to life around us. And I think that reading is pretty appropriate, you know, because often we relate to life through looking at the past or looking at what's going to happen in the future. And just to encourage us to look at life in that present moment, in this present moment, absolutely now. We began originally by looking at the idea that everything belongs in the first message. Everything belongs. Everything has a place. Whether we like it or not, everything does belong. And then we looked at the idea of loving our enemies um, and forgiveness. And last week we looked at the nature of grace, the idea that grace is always there in our lives and around us and that it's an undercurrent of love there to help us forgive the world, to help us forgive the world for not being what we expect it to be an undercurrent of love, helping us forgive the world for not being what we expect it to be, to help us forgive ourselves for not being the people we expect ourselves to be. 
In other words, to forgive reality for not conforming to the way that we think it should be. And that, to me, suggests the idea of two realities. The one that goes on inside us, that expects everything to go on, and the one that goes on outside us, what's actually happening. And I think, you know, we feel those two realities strongly. We see all that's there outside ourselves, and then we have all that's going on inside ourselves, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our intuition, our sense of self, our ideas. We have a whole inner world that's going on. Right now that's happening. I've got my own inner world, you've got your inner worlds, we've got the outer world that's between us. And we feel those, you know, strongly, and it seems often that, you know, never the twain shall meet. I think we're forever suffering because of the difference between these two. Our expectation of the outer world not being met. Our inability, really, to control either world. You know, we often can't control the way we think, we feel. We equally can't control what goes on out there. So the question here today is, you know, how do we reconcile those two worlds? I think the first thing and most important thing to consider is the idea that there are not two worlds. But our inner world and our outer world are both manifestations of the same reality. That our inner world and our outer world are both manifestations of the same reality. And if you sort of into the whole spiritual thing, you know, the idea of non-duality is a big idea in the whole spiritual world. And non-duality is really what this is bound up in. Non-duality literally means not two, or one undivided without a second. That's what non-duality means. Not two, or one undivided without a second. The dictionary says that non-duality primarily refers to a mature state of consciousness in which the dichotomy, the dichotomy of I-other is transcended. It's a mature state of consciousness where the dichotomy of I and other is transcended. And awareness is described as centerless or without dichotomies. So it's a, it's a different way of looking at things. In other words, the whole idea that all reality is one and the idea that I in here is, the idea that I in here is separated from everything out there, that idea is an illusion, according to non-duality. The idea there's a separation between I in here and thou art there is separated. The idea of separation is an illusion. That's what, that's what non-duality is about. We think we're separate by virtue of the fact that we feel separate. I can feel my hands, I can feel my body, I can see you out there, but in reality you actually, the the whole idea of non-duality suggests that there is one unity of consciousness. There is one consciousness, one form of life, one being expressed in many forms. And we're all part of that. You know, many heads and one particular body. It's in the Christian, the whole idea of, of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. It's the idea of one consciousness that we're all a part of. That although we feel that there is me, and the rest of you out there, 
You know, in reality, as the guru says, there are no others. That is the idea of non-duality, that we are all one. And that includes, you know, what we think as our inner reality and what we think of as our outer reality. That they're both fundamentally connected and to see one as separate from the other is an illusion. To see one as separate from the other is an illusion. Now, I know that's all fine and dandy, you know, to talk about it. However, it doesn't always square with the fact that our experience tells us something different. You know, our experience, you know, if you really, you know, talk turkey, our experience tells us something different. It tells us that we're separate and that our inner reality is often very different from our outer reality. And so the key question really here is whether or not acknowledging that there is one reality or including the fact that there is one reality rather than two realities could increase our ability to live life more skillfully. That's what we're always really about here. You know, the, the, what we're about here in the chapel, I think, really is looking at wisdom and thinking, how do I live my life more skillfully in the light of this? How do I live life more skillfully? And, you know, if there is one reality, if there is one reality, although we might experience it being two, if we can consider that as a possibility, does that allow us to live our lives more skillfully? Now, skill's an interesting word. We think of it as being, you know, something to do with athletics or where you sort of practice and practice and practice and eventually the skill comes. But actually, it comes from a Norse word, S-K-I-L, which means making a distinction. It's, it means discernment. It means the ability to work out, the ability to adjust. So it's, the nature of skill is always, it's about adjustment, it's about distinction, it's about working out how to do something. So here, we're working out the dis- with discernment how to live. That's what we're really doing, I think, as a community. And the question is, could the idea that there is one reality enable us to work out that process of living more skillfully? When you think of life as having two realities, it all becomes about having one reality conform to the other. Either we try to make our outer reality come under the control of our inner reality, you know, which even Howard Hughes found was impossible. You know, you, you can't control the world out there. But, you know, you try to make it conform to it. No matter how much money and power you have, your inner reality, you know, has to conform to your outer reality because that's what we experience, you know, reality as being. You know, unless we do have it conform, we become ill. It has to conform. In which case, you end up denying your inner reality and just giving up and saying, well, the outer reality is in control. I'm just going to give up to that. And in both cases, you know, there's a battle going on and a struggle that doesn't necessarily lead to peace. Whether you've got your outer reality trying to make your inner reality go one way or inner reality trying to control your outer reality, it doesn't give for peace. It gives for suffering. And when you consider the idea there is one reality then I think you start to reach different levers in order to make things work. You see, when you look at it that way, that what you feel as one reality is just another part of the other reality. What's out there? Both, in a sense, are a reflection of each other. And as both are operating together it enables us 
to use tools like forgiveness to actually release a different form of energy or love into that outer reality. We don't try and change the outer reality when it doesn't ma- match up to our expectations. Instead, as I was talking about last week, we forgive it. We let go of our expectations and we let go of wanting to try to make the two worlds conform to each other. And instead, we navigate around those two realities being together. I think, you know, living with an outer and inner reality and living as one reality is like the difference between following a route map, you know, on a bit of paper and in real life. You know, when you try to to work out what's going on in the outer reality, you're sort of coming up with symbols and ideas of what's going on and trying to work it out. On the map, these are representations of what's out there. And in real life, you're dealing with actuality. And if you can conceive those two realities as being the same, you're not trying to work it out. You're actually dealing with the experience of what's going on. So you're adding the dimension of your own experience. Our minds include the idea of what's out there, but that's not the same of living with what's going on out there. If you can be in that present moment rather than try and work out what's going on, you're in a different place. It's all the working out and all the trying to have the inner reality deal with what's going on that takes us away from actually being in that present moment that Alan Watts is talking about. Our ideas as to how we should deal with a situation often vary greatly with what we actually do when confronted with it. When we, we try and think ahead as to what we're going to do, about something, or, you know, it's often very different to what we actually do when we're in a situation. So often something happens, and oh, I wish I'd said that. You know, we think back on it, or we think forward, this is how I'm going to handle this. But when it comes to it, it doesn't always happen. To live as if there's one reality that includes both the inner and the outer world gives us this new set of tools of dealing with both those worlds because they're connected. And so what we do in our inner world we think in this situation does have an effect on the outer world and vice versa. One world has the effect, uh, an effect on the other. Quantum mechanics tells us that the inner world of the observer has an effect on the outer world of the experiment. That's really what quantum mechanics tells us. And it says that all of reality is relational. And that is the key thing I think the relationalness of the inner world and the outer world that that enables us to see it as one. And it gives credence to that idea of non-duality. It says that our act of forgiveness for someone is not just doing nothing. We're not just doing it in ourselves here and saying, well, I'm just going to forgive that person and nothing happens. It says that when you do forgive someone, you take the energy of the act that you're forgiving them for. Let's say that they do a harm to you. You take the energy of that harm And in forgiving, you transform a positive energy that affects the outer world in a different sort of way. You're actually affecting the world by your forgiveness. So if we're living in one reality, and our inner world and our outer world are in fact part of the same reality, the key question is, you know, how how do you deal with the process of living in that? We're so used to living in our inner world. And so used to trying to get the outer world to conform to it. That how do you, where do you place your attention if it is one reality? Well, I think, first of all, it forces us to be much more discerning. We have to look at what's going on around us and be aware of the impact that we're having. You know, in the Tao, 
it says that the master thinks of his enemy as the shadow he himself casts. He thinks of his enemy as the shadow that he himself casts. And therefore, you know, he doesn't think of his enemy as someone out there that he has to fight. He realizes that he has a part of himself that has created that enemy. And that makes a difference to the way that we deal with that enemy. We're involved in it. It's not to say that we don't deal with things in our outer reality that need to be dealt with. Just that we look at the effect that we ourselves might be having on the situation. We include that we might be somehow having an effect on the situation ourselves. We're asked to always respond in life. This is what I think. We're asked to respond in a loving way. And that includes bringing compassion and understanding to bear when we might be out of control. I mean, if you're in a concentration camp, you can't magic yourself out of that situation by using your inner world. Nor, you know, can we say that it's my fault that I'm in this concentration camp. Rather, we have to look and see what we're able to bring to the situation from our inner reserves and from our understanding of what's going on around us. There is a relatedness that includes what's going on in the outer world, but thinks, how can I make an effect? And similarly, you know, if you're in a situation of grief or despair uh, of one sort or another, we can't expect to be changed simply by changing the outer reality. You know, if only I had enough money, everything would be okay. If only I had my health, if only I had my partner... We have to realize that simply changing the outer world doesn't necessarily make us feel any better in our inner world. It's like an egg. You know, the outer world's the shell, and the inner world's the yolk, and yet the thing is a whole in itself. Almost with this, you know, the inner world and the outer world, it it all goes up to make a whole. The inner world of the egg, the yolk, can't be, you know, made better by taking a bit of the shell and placing it on the yoke, you know, it is a whole. And you can't take bits of the outer world just to make the inner world, you know, feel a bit better. Both the outer world and the inner world have to be in balance. We have to have our own balance, and the outer world has to have its own balance for the two together to make a whole. So our inner world has to be whole in itself, not demanding that the outer world changes to make it better. And we have to be able to be at peace with ourselves internally, to be okay with ourselves, whatever the circumstances, to not look for something in the outer world to complete us, because we are complete. That is a, you know, a key thing for our inner world together, that it is complete. That wonderful stanza from the Dhammapada, the sayings of the Buddha. It is not good conduct that helps you on your way, nor ritual, nor book learning, nor withdrawal of the self, nor deep meditation. None of these convey mastery and joy. O seeker, rely on nothing until you want nothing. Your inner world has to be okay with itself. Your inner world has to feel, there has to be an integrity between the inner world and the outer world. Both worlds have an integrity in themselves, and to try and make one world magically make the other one better just doesn't work. Because when it comes to this inner world and the outer world, integrity is at the heart of it. Integrity is at the heart of the relationship between these two perceived realities. And integrity allows us to experience them as one reality. 
Integrity, the word itself means wholeness, soundness, wholeness, completeness. From that, the idea that a one, an integer, is a whole. That's where that word comes from. The word integrity means wholeness. The integrity between what we perceive as our outer world, the integrity between what we receive as our outer world and our inner world is what makes up the whole. Those two worlds that seek to battle us two are in fact one. And if you look up, you know, if you look up what people say about uh, the inner world and the outer world, most people will say that the outer world is a reflection of the inner world. That's a sort of common understanding. Your outer world is a reflection of your inner world. That if you're hateful internally, then you'll see the outer world as being hateful. And if you're inwardly loving, you'll see the outer world as being loving as well. That's a general thought. But I think there is some truth in that. But I think it goes further. In that what we're looking at is not just a reflection, but also those two worlds being congruent with each other. And it's in the congruence that we get the integrity. Congruent literally means to come together, to agree, to correspond with. And you get the integrity and you get that wholeness when those two worlds are congruent with each other. When the two worlds we experience agree with each other and when they come together and we have an integrity that produces a whole. That's what we're aiming for. You cannot, you can't possibly be mean and miserly and expect to experience the world as being generous to you, obviously. And your inner experience has to be congruent with what's going on around you. Which is why Jesus said, and it's quite interesting, he didn't say just be lovey all the time. He said, you know, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. There is a discernment there. Be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. It's more complicated than just one thing or the other. You know, there's a lot going on in the world, and just to be nice is not enough, which is why it takes discernment. You know, we're all part of creation and Yes, evolution. You know, someone came up to me last week and said, you know, you always bring it back to evolution. And that's because I think evolution is what drives everything. You know, we are evolving all the time. And to be aware of that evolution enables us, you know, to roll with it, as I think the expression is, to roll with that evolution. And in being part of creation and evolution, we're subject to the unfolding of the universe that includes those two perceived realities, the inner world and the outer world. So evolution, you know, is going on within us and outside us as one reality. We have to be aware that the outer unfolding reality is, you know, all these, everything that's going on outside has a fundamental spiritual DNA that's evolving. There's an evolution that's taking place. And that evolution is also taking place within us. That same DNA, that same life force is evolving within us. And it's all part of the same evolution. Both are evolving at the same time as one affects the other. So our inner promptings that have to be listened to, you know, they have to be listened to our inner promptings, but also insofar as they're congruent, we also have to listen to what's going on outside. The two things have to go together. There's no point in, you know, grieving over the loss of your health when in fact you have to deal with the very fact of getting better. There's no point in grieving over your health when you actually you've got to get better. There's no point in continually revisiting the past when, in fact, you're being asked to deal with the present. And those two realities 
have a natural congruence and to live skillfully is to discern. To live skillfully is to discern what that congruence is. When we do that, the two realities come together and form one reality. I mean, little things like giving up alcohol for a short period of time gives us integrity because we experience a decision made in our inner reality being made real in our outer reality. We feel good about that when we've done that. And in a greater level, if we're an alcoholic, then permanently giving up alcohol is a way of us having integrity and wholeness by putting ourselves in a place that's appropriate to the situation. Through the acknowledgement that the inner world and the outer world to be congruent, for that to happen, we have to give up alcohol if we're an alcoholic. So there's a congruence there. So in that sense, our actions are the bridge between our inner world and our outer world. Our actions bridge the two worlds. They enable us to make the two worlds congruent and give us the integrity to experience that one reality, that whole. And so in effect, in doing that, we're participating in a dance. Our inner sensibilities and our outer sensibilities and the action that brings the two together. We hold our partner, which is the outer world, We hold our partner lightly. We listen to the music. And together we dance the dance of life and become the whole that we aspire to. That's the way it works, that dance. And of course, the other bridge we have between those two worlds is our breath. Our breath, which is why often meditation is about concentration on the breath, bringing the outer world into us and holding it. And letting go. And through our breath, we experience the unified whole. And by experience that unified whole, we often then trip into an experience of unity of consciousness. It's through our breath that sometimes that unity of consciousness comes about. Through our breath, we're able to experience the wholeness of life. And when we let go of our attachment to our minds, the source, our minds are the source of the illusion of separation. When we let go of that, the illusion disappears and we're left with the reality of wholeness, unity of consciousness, sartori, enlightenment, whatever you'd like to call it. Which is why I always think that you know, meditation is key to our practice. It's key to reconciling the experience of separation and the actuality of wholeness. Last paragraph. Your inner world is thinking, when's it going to stop? Your outer world is just going to carry on, you know? <laughs> Be at peace with it. (laughs) The fact is we can't do it on our own. We can't think our way into that place. We have to work on it. Working on giving up the ideas we have about separation and using our breath to realize that unified nature of consciousness. And that involves forgiveness. It involves grace. It involves sensitivity. It involves love. It involves compassion, stillness, awareness, inclusivity, all the tools that are at our disposal to become actualized as part of the whole that's moving and evolving into fullness. Let's just take a moment and pray, shall we?
just acknowledge that the nature of prayer is the recognition of the unitive nature of those two worlds, the inner world reaching to the outer world, knowing that in its actions, it's having an effect on that outer world. And we recognize our wholeness and we pray for a wholeness in the world. We pray for those recovering from the hurricanes, pray for North Korea, pray for our leaders, pray for a sense of compassion and wholeness all around the world, people in prison, people in desperate situations. We pray for a recognition of that wholeness from people and a recognition of our part in the disasters that happen in the world. I pray for all those in our community who are suffering at the moment. We particularly think of those who are going to hospital this week. Lorna Peterson's having an operation on her back and Bayard is having an operation uh, on her veins, quite serious operation. And David Harris is going to have, a, uh, have an operation on his knee tomorrow. Pray for Sharon Wells, Elise Strickland, Anne Lindley, Joan Valentine, Lee Bouguet, Soleil, Tegan Sullivan, Barbara Orcutt, Molly Coman, Pat Smith, Will Welsh and Patricia Hill. Just ask that loving power and healing power on all those people. Amen.